0: the world seems so unstable so insecure everything is changing way too fast but there are some things that are steadfast things that never change god and his word join us as pastor randy ream shares truths from god's unchanging word we're in john chapter 8 john chapter 8 we're we're i'm going to say rehashing some material over last week But there's just so much in there, I just have to go over some of it again. Because you can't do it all in one message. We would be here for hours on end. um, And and there's some of you might like that, others not so much. (laughs) When your stomach starts to growl. So chapter 8, verse 24. John chapter 8, starting in verse 24. I'm going to tell you now, later you're going to want your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 9. Okay, I am going to ask you to actually look at that Bible um, today a few times. So, John chapter 8, starting in verse 24. Therefore I told you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They they did not understand that he, Jesus, had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He is not, has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You may be seated. So, being good Bible students, the first thing you note is the word therefore. Okay? So, that has to tell us a little. We've got, we got to review a little bit to know what that's connected to. Uh, previously, up in verse 19, Jesus had, had indicted these people, particularly uh, the Jewish leadership, that they did not know him. And therefore did not know the Father. If you don't know me, he says, you don't know the Father. Now you see why I'm talking to the kids about the Trinity. Okay? Um, and that um, because you lack the ability, in verse 21, you will seek me, but you're not going to find me, Jesus says. Okay? And you will die in your sins. Therefore I told you. Okay? Okay? On that, you will die in your sins, you will seek me, but you won't find me, okay? If you don't believe X, we'll talk about that in a minute, you'll die in your sins. Again, I want to bring back to John chapter 3. We'll go there a couple times today, all right? When Jesus said when he's in his encounter with Nicodemus, the Pharisee uh, comes to him at night. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You'll look, but you won't find him unless you're born again. Then 5 and 6, verses 5 and 6, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot, notice it speaks to ability, it doesn't say he will not, it says he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is Flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus fits with what Jesus says. You guys don't get it. You're of the flesh. You're of this world, this place. You're f- I'm not from this world. Okay? So, so you, you can't even, you can't enter. You lack the ability. You can't see it unless you're born again. That is, you're not just fleshly. Your spirit made alive in Christ. Okay? Therefore I told you. You will die in your sins. Wouldn't you hate it if Jesus has once said that? You know, whatever Jesus says is so. Okay. Now, he says earlier, because you don't know the Father, you don't know me, and I'm telling you, you're going to die in your sins. Then he comes up here, says, you'll die in your sins, and he says, for. That, that, and what Greek word is that Wednesday night crowd? Gar, Gar yeah, all right. So most, time, most of the time when you see the word for in, in, in the New Testament, the Greek, just think of a pirate. Gar. Hey, if that's what it takes for you to remember it, I know it's a little silly, okay? But, but for, in, in English or any sentence, that same idea is either explanation, clarification, or reason. I went to the store for bread and milk. The reason I was going is to get the bread and milk. Okay. And Paul, in Paul's writing, he uses it a lot for clarification. Let me explain further. So Jesus here says you will die in your sins for, because if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Now this is where I want to spend a good amount of time, on the I am. Some of your versions say I am he, because they believe there's an implied predicate. That is something that describes this word, the words I am. In Greek, those words are ego, me, or ego, some pronounce that way, ego, me, which he says, I'm, which means in its simplest form, I exist. Unless you believe I exist. Well, of course you do. You're standing in front of me. Right? But there's more to it than that. It is the first person singular um, present active indicative of the form to be. I'm, I'm glad you all worked that down because I'm sure you want to know that later. Um, typically, when a person claims to be something, we're told what that something is. Okay? I am a carpenter. I am a father. I am, and Jesus has done this previously. I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the light of the world. So typically it tells us, we can see this in John chapter 9. I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I want to show you where you see this same word used by someone else besides Jesus. All right? Jesus has healed a man that has been blind since birth. That's a long time. Um, He's brought before the Jewish leadership, the same people which Jesus is speaking to here in chapter 8. And they're asking about how he came about to this not being blind. And so it's chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. So the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others saying, This is he. Still others saying, No, it's not him. And the man himself saying, I am he we still got the ego a me. But we've got a description here that comes prior to it. We, that's called a predicate to this verb. The problem is here in the verse that we are speaking of today, verse 24, has no predicate. There's, unless you believe I am, you are what? He doesn't tell us. He just uses the I am. Why does he do this and why does he do it here? So in Exodus 3, 14 and 15, is that encounter? I mean, there's more, but particularly when God is speaking to Moses from the burning bush. Where he speaks to the bush, and who shall I, you know, what's your name? I am that I am. By the time he gets to verse 15, this is what God says to Moses. Say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, God of your fathers. Now, your Bible probably has a capital L, capital O, capital R, and a capital D. Compared to just L-O-R-D with lowercase. And I'll explain that in a minute. But that word in the Hebrew would be Yahweh. God of your fathers the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name throughout all generations. This is, how you, this is the name by which you're supposed to remember me. That being what is called the Tetragrammaton. It's four letters in Hebrew. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go into what they are, because you guys don't really, it doesn't matter. We, comes to English to us is the word Jehovah. Okay, so many many of you know uh, Joe, and also you know Juan, and both spelt with a J. Okay, so that Y sound of Yahweh comes into English, for us is a J, okay. The W, which would be Yahweh in Hebrew, comes to us as a W, just like if you, um, in German, in German, they pronounce what we see as a W as a V. Okay, I don't want to get too complex. Okay, when that is translated to Greek in the Septuagint, that is the Old Testament translated into Greek, a few hundred years before Christ comes along. Okay, when they translated, they get to Exodus there, and they want to translate the name of God to Greek. Ego Emi. And that's also, you see it when he says something similar in, X, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 6, the same thing, that's his name. Now, God himself says, you're supposed to remember me by I am, or to be. That is, in my own nature, I am. I exist. I cannot not exist. I don't want to confuse you there too much. All right? So he's using this name. It can also be translated, ready? He who will be, he who is, and he who has been. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? Go to Revelation chapter 1. The God who was, and the God who is, and the God who is to come. I was just throwing all those definitions in, into that one place. Jesus is using... That I am here without a predicate. You must believe that I am from Bethlehem. I am, no no description, just that I am. Now some verses, I am he, because of the yud and the Hebrew, uh, makes it masculine. Anyway, I'm not going to go into all that. All right? You've got to realize here that I think, I think Jesus purposely played on the people. I think he purposely puts this out that there is a double meaning to it because he's going to use the same I am later in the chapter and they threaten to kill him. Here they don't. They are seeing it differently. He had said when they were asking about him and he says, I am the light of the world. Now we have that predicate, right? Okay. I am the light of the world. He d- connects himself to the Messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. I mentioned this a little bit last time. They were asking, wait a minute, um, is he the Messiah? Is he this? Is he Well, he, nothing good comes from Galilee. All right? Nah, he's from Galilee. He can't, nah, the Messiah don't come from there. He, he comes from Bethlehem, from Judah. And then Nicodemus sort of defends Jesus in this. Don't condemn him. He should have a trial. And they look at Nicodemus, are you from Galilee too? Jesus says to them, says again, I am the light of the world. Okay. This is how the Jews took what he said, the I am, because otherwise they'd be trying to stone him right here. Okay. Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 9. 700 years approximately before Christ steps onto the planet. Okay? But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he, God, treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. That is Galilee. That's the northernmost tribes, the first ones taken into captivity. All right? But later on, he, God, shall make it, that is Galilee, glorious by way of the sea. On the side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Now let me tell you again, I'm going to repeat what Jesus said. When he said that I am light of the world in verse 12. I'm going to read this last statement of verses 1 and 2. Well, it's the... Anyway, first part of verse 2 in in Isaiah 9. Okay. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light in the context of Galilee. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I wish I could put them on screen side by side and you could see how they're connected, all right? What's interesting, as Isaiah goes on in chapter 9, he uses now, Galilee is going to see this great light. Not going to walk in darkness anymore. They're going to see this great light. Three through five shifts to using the second person plural masculine pronoun "you" in this case, but the "you" is masculine. Okay, that means this light will be a person, not an "it." Not light is "it," you is a person. Okay, this person, this masculine person, will we? You say masculine today, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, He will bring joy, that's verse 3. The joy will come because He removed the people's burdens and freed them from oppression, verse 4. And He will bring peace to the world, verse 5. Now, you're a Jew living in this period of time. You've been occupied by the Romans by this point, what, 90 to 100 years. When you read that you're going to have your Burdens relive, your oppression is going to go, and there's going to be peace you're thinking somehow, and I understand why they do this that, that that this whole messiah thing's keyed to getting this burden this oppressor off our backs and bringing peace to us okay at one time uh, oh i 'm trying to remember the name Hussein anyway, there was a dynasty of, of Kings in Israel that had thrown, thrown off the Seleucid people, you know, the Seleucid empire. Anyway, they, they had taken over Palestine. Uh, The Jews throw off that burden and they have a period of time before the Romans come where they're self-ruled. They have their own king and own rule. And then they're going, so they're thinking, when do we get back to that? Because they read those verses. So when Jesus refers to it, when he's saying walk in that light and he's the light of the world, he's saying right here. Oh, he's referring to that over in Galilee. But you still can't be the Messiah because I don't see these things. They just skipped the next verses. That's all they did. They didn't bother addressing them. Because the next verses you'll find very familiar. Okay? So there there was a time when, when Galilee... Okay. saw darkness, and that they were the first ones taken captive. To Galilee is going to come this great bright light, wonderful light, great light. They won't walk in darkness. This light's a person. He's going to deliver them from burdens and oppression and bring peace to the world. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born. A son shall be given and the government shall rest on His shoulders. So far, they're looking for a Messiah to be born. They're not making a connection with Galilee. They, they're, they're still... They're, they're, I'll get there. I'm going to jump ahead. And His name shall be called... Somebody want to finish it? Wonderful Counselor, 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 which comes into the Greek as... Yeah, as the Spirit. The paraclete. Comforter, Counselor, Helper, Mighty God, Eternal Father or Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. This one who comes into Galilee that does these things will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Why are they so upset when he says he and the Father are equal? It's interesting enough is they knew, they knew these other parts of the verses. They knew the part about shedding the burdens and the oppression and the peace. That they wanted, but somehow they missed the other part that the Messiah that comes will be the eternal Father. Huh? Will be God. They, they, somehow they missed that. Okay? As Jesus pulls their attention to Isaiah chapter 9, knowing how they will take it also knowing what he means by it that is he's declaring himself to be the self-existent unchanging, everlasting, all-powerful creator of everything that's what he's declaring but they're not getting it because they're making a connection later Jesus uses the ego me, the I am again without a direct link to an Old Testament and they go, oh that's what you're saying and they want to stone him. They've already done that back in chapter 5. If you don't believe this, that I am the light of the world, that those who walk with me, if you don't believe that I am that, and that I am that one, the one there, you'll die in your sins. So they, they, they respond back, oh, wait a minute. Who are you? Maybe they caught a little double connotation in there. Wait a minute. Okay. Who are you? Jesus responds, Are you silly and stupid and dumb? No, I didn't it's the same, What I've been telling you to start with. What I be, just have I've been telling you from the beginning. Okay. If they have to believe that he is, or I believe I am, to not die in their sins, it's important to know who he is. That's why they ask the question. Jesus' declaration here that He speaks of, of Isaiah, is consistent with what He's been saying all along. For example, in chapter 1, we know as the readers, I'm not saying that these other people sitting there, Jesus, I read John chapter 1, but we know as the readers, in John chapter 1, that He is the Word, and the Word made flesh, incarnate. Okay, he is the Word of God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh. Okay, we also know from chapter 1 that he created all things. He is the creator, 1 and 10. We know that he is the Messiah, John 4. That's even, you know, disciples discovered that real quick. Hey, I, Andrew, I, come with us. I, I found a Messiah. Okay. okay. And the Pharisees know that Jesus declared himself equal with God, because that's in chapter 5, verse 18. That's why they wanted to kill him. Not just because he healed on the Sabbath, but because he claimed God as his Father, being equal with God. We know in chapter 6, he's the bread that came down from heaven. He is from above. That's already in this verse. So, So, All these things I've been telling you, why do I have to tell you again? You're not listening? Last time I told you, you tried to kill me. Did did you forget? Then listen to this. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But I could say a lot. I, I, I could really bring down harsh judgment on you. But he who sent me is true. And I declared to the world... What I have heard from him. I could say a lot, but I only say what the Father says. I only say what the Father's taught me. Which tells me one thing. Jesus had thoughts of his own. Boy, could I tell you a few things, but I'm only telling what the Father says. Okay? What's interesting he turns the attention away from himself. Jesus is really good at this. Okay. Towards the end, when, before he's crucified, he draws that a lot of attention back on himself. But, but he drops, puts the attention back on, the one who sent me is true. And I only say what he says, therefore what I say is true. true. Thank you. That's next week's message, by the way. You can look at it. Okay. Thus his declarations and judgments are true. Christ is. This is true. Since he's not speaking what he says, not judging what he's seen, and that, he's only doing what the Father says when he says you don't know me and you don't know the Father. That's a direct line from heaven. That's not just Jesus' opinion. Okay? Well, how dare you say you don't know me? Look at it. It's, like it's God the Father telling me this. You will seek me, but you won't find me. No, no, I think of... That's the other guys. If I sink you, I'll find you. You are worldly, fleshly, carnal. You will die in your sins. Why will you die in your sins? Because you don't believe that I am. That's a true statement. It is true today. You will die in your sins... If you don't believe that He is the One from Isaiah 9, that He is the I Am of the burning bush, that He is the eternal, unchangeable God who created all things, by Him and through Him, were all things and that consist in Him. And then we get an editorial note by John. They did not realize that He had been speaking to them about the Father. He even though he said so, okay? that They're not catching that the one who sent him is in fact God the Father, even though we'd previously told him, 537, 816, and 18, okay? So to me, it supports when you, you don't know the Father because you can't even figure it out when I say the one who sent me, that it's him. You, you don't recognize him when you see him. You don't have to recognize him when he speaks, when he acts. OK? They did not make the connection with Jesus claiming that He and the Father are one. In chapter five, they seem to make that connection. but a lot of things have happened. Remember chapter five, He was in Jerusalem. He's gone away to Galilee and all these other miracles the walking on water, the feeding of 5,000, sick people, these kind of things. all right? And, and now they're starting to seem a little different. Then this next part gets really interesting. So Jesus said to them, that is because they didn't understand that editorial note that he was talking about the Father. Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am. Okay. So the Son of Man being lifted up is not new to us as the readers again at Nicodemus. He was talking about that, uh, uh, about when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Okay, So must the Son of Man be lifted up, so whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. It's, to the readers, that's not a new idea. But as he's speaking to these folks, when the Son of Man is lifted up, or when you lift up the Son of Man. Now, lifted up is idiomatic, of course, of crucifixion. Jesus lifted up on the cross like the serpent in the wilderness on the stake. But I, I don't think we realize that that word uh, lifted up is translated 14 times in the New Testament as exalted or glorified. So again, double meaning. When you have lifted up the Son of Man that sense. But I think it also refers to the resurrection when He's exalted. Okay? and to the ascension. The other part of it, it is here, in some way, these people are instrumental in that lifting up, in that crucifixion. Now, they couldn't condemn a person to crucifixion. Jews couldn't do it by Roman law. Jews didn't drive the stakes into his hands or his feet or put the crown on his head or beat him. But there is some culpability in this. There's some way they're instrumental in him being lifted up. The word when. When he is lifted up. Time. Causation. All right. When the crucifixion, I would suggest to you the resurrection, through that the Jews will come to know several things. Jesus now lists them. Okay. Okay. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know. You won't, ha- you won't be in this predicament not figuring it out. Being confused. You'll know. One, that Jesus is the I Am. That's His first statement. You'll know I'm God. Okay? That He did nothing on His own authority. That His teachings were from the Father. That he was sent by the Father. The Father was with him and is with him and will be with him. Okay, he doesn't leave him alone. I'll let you deal with that in a minute when you do the, uh, my God, my God, why has that? I'll let you deal with that on your own. Okay, and that everything he does is pleasing to the Father. Now, ready? I want you to get this. Um, you don't know the Father because you don't know me. That condemning statement. You're going to die in your sins. That was pleasing to God. But this also means when he's hung on the cross, that's pleasing to God too. Okay? Then it says this, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. I so wanted to go further with this, but I thought that was a good place to stop, okay? So what did they believe? What Jesus said. He said that I am that guy from, from Exodus. I'm that guy. That I was sent by God. Okay? That I only say and teach what God's taught me, if I could say it like that. Okay. And the fathers was pleased when what he sees. They believed it without a crucifixion. Remember, it's not happened yet. When that happens, y'all will know these things. Okay. But they took him at his word. Okay. They, they didn't get to see a guy die on a cross and the clouds go dark. They, they, they weren't any of the 500 people at this point, anyway. some of them might have been, that saw Christ alive walking around. Okay. That heard of his ascension. None of that. That hasn't happened yet. They just took Christ on his word and believed. Watch, but but wait a minute, wait a minute, no no one can see the kingdom unless they're born again, huh? So how did they see it? They must have been born again, otherwise they can't see it. Okay, I think on an application basis, um, many people again believed in Jesus uh, before his death and resurrection. They simply took him at his word. And I'll apply that to us in just a minute. Okay? M- many others who will have the benefit of seeing the cross, seeing the resurrection, when the Son of Man's lifted up, glorified, you will know. But they still won't believe. There are many, not all the people heard what he said his audience, believe. Some, many, not all. That means there are others that's going to come to that point, see those things in which he spoke of, know what he says that would reveal, and still not believe. I think we struggle today being more than 2,000 years detached from those events. Even though we can go look at secular, even non-biblical witnesses that Speak to the truth of Jesus walking on this earth, okay, being crucified, and he even resurrected. Okay, we can look back at historical facts. But these people believed here didn't have any historical facts to go on yet. I think we struggle sometimes in in today's world to believe the words of Christ because we're not seeing people walk on water. We're not seeing the lepers healed or a blind guy since birth being healed. We didn't see that cross. We haven't seen Jesus physically since he's been resurrected. If you say you have, we need to have a talk. Okay? Um, but really, that's not what causes us to believe. Seeing it, these people will know these things, but doesn't mean they'll believe those things. You hear this if you interview people or talk to people. Well, I'd believe if he'd just show me a miracle and show me that he's there. Nah, you'd just know he was God, but not necessarily believe. It it just makes my mind ache when I consider the millennium. Yes, I am a premillennialist. Okay, I believe there's a time when Christ will reign on earth. (laughs) According to Scripture, there will be non believers living here as well, living and dying. And they still won't put their trust in him as Savior. Matter of fact, they'll rebel against him. They, they could see him standing in front, of, brings peace to the world. We ran into that already. He brings that time of peace in the world. There is no war for a long period of time, whether you believe the millennial statements in Revelation or literal a thousand years or just a really long period of time, whatever you choose to believe there. Okay? Peace. And they still. Will not put their trust in Christ. What you have to trust is what He said. And, and I know you, you might be thinking I'm leaping out here, but wait till you see next week. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I'm not, I'll, I'll get too far ahead of myself. All right? The faith comes by hearing the Word of Christ, not by seeing Christ. A lot I know of, nobody in this room has a phone booth they can climb into and travel back in time. Okay? That was Bill and Ted, right? I think it was. Okay, or H.G. Wells had the other time machine. You can't go back in time and see Christ's death and resurrected. You have to trust what God said in His Word. The Father, the one who sent me, is true. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. The emphasis is on that. I find it intriguing that God didn't leave it up to oral tradition. He wrote it down for you. Now... Like anybody else, it doesn't do any good unless you learn to read, okay? And that's why then the Protestant Reformation came along and, and reading was so important and education and all those things uh, because they wanted people to read the Bible in their own language. Of course, you've got to take the time to learn to read. God's just not going to zap you with it and all of a sudden you know how, all right? But I find it interesting. He comes this way and says, I've written it down for you. What causes me to believe when I read it is the work of the Holy Spirit. I can take you to universities right now where there are plenty of educated men and women who have read the Bible, and they don't believe it. Educated men and women who read the Bible and do believe it. Okay? It is the Holy Spirit's act upon the person that they read it and go, oh, I see the kingdom now. All I saw before was a book of myths. Histories of a weird religion from way back. That's that's all I saw until, the Holy Spirit enlightens their heart. Okay, and if you want, you know, if you got many that's an old book now. Josh McDowell's Evidence to Verdict. His son now has wrote one. Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. Anybody read those? Okay, they take an intellectual. Lee Strobel was a reporter, um, a legal reporter, and he goes. To around the world, talking to all these brainy people, okay, and he's going, yeah, there's, there's good, strong evidence, historical, logical, rational reasons for the believing this, but when it comes down to it, it's the Holy Spirit of God working in us. You were not any brighter than the other person sitting next to you whenever it was you surrendered your life to Christ. Wherever that was, it was a church setting, somebody next to you, a friend with you, the, the gospel's presented, and, and it, it comes to life in you, and, and you're alive, and the other one's going, what, can we get out of here, man? Well, you smarter than the other guy? You're more spiritual than the other guy? It's the work of the Holy Spirit that does that. Thus it is the work of the Holy Spirit, it's the work of God to keep it in you. This is the work of God that you believe, Jesus' own words, chapter 6. It's the work of God that you believe. It's not because you're smart. It's not because you have something in you. No, there's nothing in you, Jesus said, out of you comes all these wicked and awful things. Okay? Not that kind of belief. So I can give praise to God simply because when I read the book at some point, I go, hey, that became real, became life, became the bread of life to me. It came to the light of the world to me. Not because of me but because of him. Now that bothers some people because they would ask this question. Well, you're sitting there, wherever this place was, and you surrendered your life to Christ, you, you, you did this, and this guy didn't. If Jesus did the work, that means, that means he didn't do the work in this guy. Am, am I right? Okay, we still live in the world where the law of non contradiction exists no matter what they say out there. Okay, if A, if this is an apple... It's not an orange. Okay? The antecedent, the opposite, is therefore false from truth. So if God causes the person to believe here, the Holy Spirit works in him, that means on the other side, he didn't. Why didn't he? Read Romans 9. Paul preempts the argument. Yeah, you know what you're going to say? God's not fair. He's unjust. That's not right. Because everybody should be. Really? What makes you say that? What makes human beings worthy of God's grace? Nothing. nothing. Okay? Now, we, I understand we're made in His image. I understand that. Okay? But grace by its definition has to be based on nothing in you. Otherwise, it's not grace. If I hire you for a job and I look at your skills, your resume, and I hire you because of that... That's not grace. Okay? Even if I hired you without the skills, knowing that you have a brain and you have a body to do the work, I'm hiring you because of that and I can teach it to you. So it's still you. Okay? But when you're spiritually ed, you don't even see the spiritual. He does it in you. Why does he not do it in the other? God is sovereign. If you don't like it, well, let me put it the way <laughs> Paul says it in Romans 9. How dare you as a man tell God what he can't and can't do. That's my paraphrase. Wait a minute. And I'll I'll end with this analogy. You've gone to the pound animal shelter. Okay? And there's puppies or kitties or gerbils, whatever it is you're looking at. And you pick one. Are you obligated then to pick the others? You think it's silly. if Then, then, then the guy, person working at, at the pound at the shelter starts loading all the animals up into your car. Well, if you pick one, you got to pick the other ones because that's unjust. That's just not right. What? Now, again, any analogy we talk about God runs short. Okay, so that analogy will drop short and it'll falter in many places. But God sovereignly chose us before the foundation of, Of the world. Read Ephesians 1. Don't believe me. Faith doesn't come by what I say, it comes by the word. Go read Ephesians 1. Okay? Now, you may not be able to comprehend the Trinity. That Christ and the Father and the Spirit are one. Okay? Uh, One of my neighbors came into my office this morning around 6, okay? And I showed them the Trinity in Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, uh, right, we just read it, Counselor, Mighty God, friends. Well, I didn't know actually the Bible actually taught that. Well, what are you can do, you're walking to my house, uh, to my office on a Sunday morning. You're going to get preaching. Okay, you may not be able to put your mind around it, just as much as that person sitting next to you when the gospel was given did not respond. The only way you receive it is when God grants that right to you and you do it by faith, which is also from Him. I may not be able to put my mind around how that works. Whatever analogies you come up with, they all for short. I don't argue that, but it's taught in Scripture. And just in Isaiah 6 alone, Old Testament, by the way. We ran into it here in John. John, Christ calls it the testimony of His Father. When he's in chapter five, he's saying these are the people prove these are the witnesses that prove that I am who I say I am. The Father came down from heaven, or his voice from heaven said, This is my son in whom I am pleased. The Holy Spirit descends as a dove, and Jesus is in the water. I don't know about you, but that's three. But yet he's the same. I'm not sure you can grasp, put your mind around that totally. I'm not sure you can put your mind totally around eternality. That is eternity with God and eternity without God. I I know you really can't grasp that, but if you can't ask this, Holy Spirit of God, make it real to me because my finite mind will never be able to fully understand it. We can articulate it in some ways. We can articulate the gospel, but do we really get it completely? No, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in it. The only way you're going to grasp the words of Christ is ask for the Holy Spirit's help. He's the one, and the Holy Spirit inspired them to begin with. Okay? They're the ones going to bring it to light. You're going to read Genesis and go, Yeah, look at that. He made that in six days. Without it, you're going, Yeah, I'm not too sure about that because they dug up these bones a while back. And and I'll end with this one. The Jews had presuppositions. So they read Isaiah and the rest of the Old Testament because they didn't have the New Testament through the eyes of that presupposition. They couldn't handle the idea of the Messiah being God. They sure couldn't handle the idea of a suffering Messiah. They had this. I know my situation, and my God would be doing this. Let me put it away. Well, uh, it's, not, it's not the God I believe in, if you've ever heard that today. I hear it all the time when it comes to God's sovereign election. When the two of you are sitting there and one he opens the heart and the mind of and the other he don't. Well, that's that's just not fair and that's not the kind of God I would believe in. Then get your presupposition out of your brain and read Scripture for what it says. Again, Ephesians 1. I chose you, you did not choose me. That's explicit. And God does not lie. Okay? The God that we have to believe in is the God of Scripture. The Christ we believe in has to be the Christ of Scripture. The Holy Spirit we believe in has to be the Holy Spirit of Scripture. And by the way, the Holy Spirit of Scripture is not an it, not a force. It's a him, he. Oh, but wait a minute. i, I got to change my Bible to be gender neutral. I'm sorry. God uses the masculine, and so therefore I use it. For all three. And I'm not breaking that why. Okay? Ask you a question the things that you believe, I know there's the base things across the resurrection, but the other things that you believe about Christ and His kingdom, we'll call it Christianity, okay, but is it based on Scripture? Or is it based on something you've been taught? Or your situation? Well, I'm attracted to the people of the same sex, and God loves me the way I am. I'm going to ask you, is that the God of Scripture? No. no. Okay? But that's where our world is moving us towards. Okay? We, we, we might claim, like these guys did after the resurrection, after the crucifixion. Yep, 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 I know He was crucified. I was there, I saw it. Yep, yep, He was resurrected. He walked around our town. That doesn't make them Believers. It makes them knowers because all the other things that forms around those doctrines, teachings, that's the word doctrine, doctrines, there are many more essentials. There's way out there the non-essentials, but one of those essentials is the supremacy, sufficiency of Scripture. Do you need a situation in which to interpret your Scripture, a modern situation? Well, you don't know, understand, see, I, I, know, I know Neva, see, and ni- female. Uh, yeah, we can say that. Talented, bright, knows her Bible, therefore she should be a pastor. <sniffs> My situation doesn't determine the truth of God's Word. There's, your situation is, you guys are oppressed by Romans, so you think that Messiah is going to be this kind of guy, and you missed it. But you won't the last time. That final tribulation stuff, you know, I've seen the movies, and antichrist. They'll, they'll see Him in the clouds, and they will recognize Him whom they have pierced. They will recognize Jesus, the one who died on the cross, as that conquering, peace-bringing Messiah. But how many and how many generations lost out? Put your trust in the Word of God, and man, you're going to get it next week on the same thing. I don't mean get it in a bad sense, but that's the theme of what comes up next week. Let's stand. Perhaps you were listening today and you go, how can you believe in that archaic book and all of its mistakes and errors and problems? We'll have a whole another conversation on that one. Start coming to Wednesday nights and we'll go to that one too. Okay. Father, I thank you that uh, you are the light of the world, that you bring light to the darkness. When we walk in, in darkness and totally lost, that's all we know, we think that's reality. You and your sovereign act bring light to our heart and our mind. I thank you, God, that you've called people to share the gospel, to share the cross, the resurrection, that you use people. I ask you, God, to use the people here today, that they would be the preachers by which this message comes across, that they do not have to gauge success by response. Success is sharing the gospel, then let God do what God does. God, for those that are listening today, do, do only what you can do, God bring light into their darkness, open their eyes, let them see, cause them to be born again. Grant repentance, O Lord, those which you've appointed unto belief, by which then, God, you will receive all the glory. Amen. This is Stephen Wilson, and we want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope you were blessed by today's message. Truths from God's Unchanging Word is an outreach ministry of Kindred Bible Church in Caldwell, Idaho. If you would like to listen to other messages by Pastor Randy or learn more about Kindred Bible Church, visit kindredbible.org. Our prayer for you is that you grow closer to Christ as we study the truths from God's unchanging word.